0: Hello, welcome or welcome back. Matthew Grant here, CEO of Instec, but Robin Mertens is your host this week talking to Greenlight Reed. Now, if you wonder what kind of companies are investing in technology and insurtech startups and who is providing insurance underwriting capacity to the new breed of MGAs, then this one is for you. And if you're wondering why we'd release a podcast, well, it's fun, of course, but this is one of the benefits of being an Instec member. More information on that if you want to find out at www.instec.co. And just before I hand over to Robin, if you don't eat, speak insurance, GWP, you're going to hear that coming soon. That's gross written premium. Robin, over to you.
1: I've got Brian O'Reilly, who's the head of innovation, and Nicole Van Allen, who leads the European and UK investment effort at Greenlight Re, really with me today. Hello, both. Oh, great to be here.
2: Hi, Robin. Thanks for having us.
1: Brian, you and I have met. Two years ago, first time, at a St. Patrick's Day celebration, and your name was given to me. I saw you were Brian O'Reilly. I was absolutely convinced you'd be completely 100% Irish, and that you would love Guinness and a lunch drink. And you turn up with an American accent and tell me you live in the Cayman Islands, and that was not what I was expecting one bit. How did you come to be there?
3: It had a bit of a winding road. I grew up in Michigan, went south to Miami, after I completed my studies there, I Bartended for a year in South Beach. Then I traveled for a year in Europe and uh, the Middle East, and then randomly I um, turned into an actuary when I moved to San Diego. After that, so then that's when my insurance career took off.
1: So I have got to ask, how do you randomly turn yourself into an actuary?
3: This is the yeah the classic insurance industry. How you enter the industry is you weren't planning on it, and something forces you to look into it. I started looking for my first job after doing my year tour. And I had a finance degree, and this was when the great financial crisis started, so in March of 2008. And so then I had to start Googling, what do you do with a finance degree that's not in banking? And stumbled on this Be an Actuary website, and so started reaching out to uh, local actuaries in San Diego. And uh, Richard Manship actually t- responded to my email, and I showed up as an office ended up turning to a four-hour interview. And so that's how I got started.
1: So while we're on antecedents, let's do the antecedents of Greenlight Re as well, because it's not a traditional reinsurer, is it? There's a bit more to it than that.
3: Yeah, Greenlight is a bit different. So we launched in 2004, started writing business in 2006. That was in Cayman. And then in 2010, we started an Ireland reinsurer that's been active since then. And about a year ago, we launched a syndicate in a box. So that's our regulatory entities. We also, just as far as business that we underwrite, we are non-life focused, majority property casualty, but we do uh, accident health as well. For the last 15 years or so, we've been pretty stable around 500 million to 600 million in GWP on a US dollar basis. Our exposures are worldwide, predominantly in the uh, typical regions like the US, UK, Europe, Japan and Canada. And then Greenlight as a company, our headcount is about 50 at the moment, which is fairly small for a reinsurer, but try to punch above our weight.
1: Thank you. And Nicole, turning to you, so you've been with Greenlight now for nine months. You head up the European-UK investment effort. Tell us, what does that involve? So, What's your day job?
2: My focus is on leading that UK and European investment effort. But I also get involved in strategy, operations, underrating. Yeah, really depends on the day.
1: And then you're also an actuary, and I'm—I mean, I'm, I know enough about Greenlight to know there's quite a lot of actuaries. I'm not sure what the collective noun for actuaries is. I'll go and look it up. But that's not an accident, is it? That there's lots of you who from the actuarial background.
2: Actually, on our innovations team of seven, three of us are, are actuaries, but but really the entire team has some insurance expertise of some form, whether that's pricing or their portfolio management. Definitely not an accident. It really supports our investment thesis, which is really underwriting driven.
1: Let's talk about that investment thesis a little bit, Brian, because you guys are very active early stage investors, particularly in MGAs. Why would a reinsurer be quite as active as you guys are investing in that space?
3: Yeah, so we got started in 2017, just exploring the InsurTech space. We had a new CEO come in and there was a, you know, InsurTech was a buzzword that was going around and we, we said, hey, we should do something. What should we do? Not sure what that should be. So myself and a couple of colleagues started mapping the market out. And by mapping the market out, we were essentially just emailing startups and saying, hey, what do you do? Is there anything we could do together? And we started getting some very consistent feedback around what startups and founders needs are. And then, unsurprising, you know, coming from the reinsurance side, capacity was the hardest piece of the puzzle. Everybody was saying at the time this was a very frothy market on the investment side, and they said we've raised this capital, but it's really hard for us to find um, capacity. And so, when you hear you know something over and over, you say, "Hey, maybe there's a gap in the market." Now, we didn't come in and say, this is definitely what we're going to do. That was just one of the themes we heard. But it started to make sense as we had an opportunity to be both an investor and a reinsurer. If we could combine those two in a single value prop, It became very interesting for startups. We had a couple early successes on this strategy, but we also had some challenges. But what we recognize is that the ones that were successful and the ones that did attract investor interest and underwriting interest were the ones that were MGAs. And so it naturally evolved that way where we found that we were actually changing the value and the, the view of these companies from an external perspective and so have been doubling down since that. So it was not the, uh, the plan at the start. The, the start was, hey, let's see what's going on. And it evolved into we've got a, uh, we have an interesting strategic investment unit where we can leverage you know, many of our internal capabilities.
1: What is it you look for in terms of the types of business you invest in? I, I know MGAs is your favorite, but do they have to have any particular characteristics?
3: The characteristics are are mostly around the team and the type of problem that they're solving. So what we found is having alignment of interest is the most important thing when we partner with, invest in and support on the capacity side. So making sure that the founders and the insurance team understand the scarcity of, of an insurance balance sheet is super important for us. And also, of course, that they're attacking a part of the market which is very inefficient. If they can do things better on an expense basis, that gives them a little bit more room to perform on the uh, on the loss ratio side. They have a little bit more room for mistakes. And filling in the gaps here is is something that we look for, is making sure that they're attacking a market that's very inefficient. They have the right mindset and are willing to work together with us to approach the market. A lot of it is around partnership mindset, not necessarily propositions.
1: Nicole, with your European hats on, what are you looking for in a in the management team? For instance, do they have to have insurance knowledge?
2: Not just European, but probably the way we see it as a team globally is that not necessarily. I don't think they need to have insurance knowledge or background, but we do place a high premium on that expertise. That's just from experience. Our most successful investments have been in insuretechs where there is that deep insurance expertise, but ultimately we're looking for the appropriate founder market fit? What experience or insights do the founders have or have they identified? And then how equipped are they to solve the problems that they're aiming to solve? And actually, interestingly, more and more we're seeing opportunities where non-insurance companies with an existing business model are actually using insurance to complement their offering. And so insurance expertise or not really comes back to that partnership mindset that brian was mentioning and we just want to make sure that and that they're willing to to partner and and be coachable for our mutual success
1: interesting so i know that your model is to identify interesting things to provide them with capacity and then to invest some money in them on the basis that there's nearly off always an alignment of interests between you and, and as an investor, and you as a capacity provider, do you ever segment the two? Have you ever provided capacity to something you haven't invested in, or invested in something you haven't provided capacity to?
2: Yes, I mean, I'd say you're correct about the model. So, for the majority of the insure techs that we do work with, we are involved on both sides of the balance sheet, and as we've mentioned, we found this to to really work well. But it doesn't always need to be the case. You know, we have examples of companies where We've provided capacity, but we haven't invested, you know, maybe because they're, they're later stage than where we typically sit. And we also have companies where we've invested, but we are in capacity partners. So I think we're strategic investors at the end of the day. And so we need to have that conviction on the strategic value of the company to green light, but that can come by way of a direct underwriting opportunity with an MGA, but it can also come in, in many other forms.
3: Yeah, our focus is to generate a differentiated underwriting portfolio. So if we can buy into an underwriting proposition and for various dynamics, we can't be involved in the investment side, that wouldn't be a prerequisite to not participating. So it's important for us to be open-minded on all these things.
1: When you're after this differentiated underwriting portfolio, are there particular gaps in it that you've identified? Are there opportunities that you've seen where you're looking for things to fill it
3: yeah, so as Nicole said, we've seen a lot more what I would call vertical expansion opportunities where there are companies that are adding insurance as a secondary, you know, or tertiary business that can supplement their core business. And we see a lot of opportunity there, especially because these companies have a proven customer base. And so adding this insurance product on can enhance their offering and help them expand their moat. And so we really like that. It's a bit de-risked where you know, versus some of these earlier stage opportunities where you have to start from scratch and we've seen a lot of those and, and we like them because we can get very specific about how we can include insurance into the stack also like a lot of embedded is the uh, the word that everybody says nowadays we think it's very interesting for greenlight as it can bring us a low volatility portfolio of business that can be managed very effectively and so we like it more for the underwriting risk side, not because you can add on small products that uh, should be generally very profitable, but also provide value to the customer as well. Other areas we're seeing a lot of innovation are on the supplemental benefit side is just given the changing work dynamics, we're seeing a lot of different needs in all jurisdictions. And so we're finding very specialized areas where companies can offer unique benefits or more enhanced benefits on top of complete gaps in the market that didn't exist pre-pandemic. So let's see a lot of these ancillary opportunities, they're really market expansions, non-traditional insurance products that haven't existed 5 years ago.
1: Have you got anything you can talk about now, any particular companies you're talking to, give us some examples of what you're talking about there in a, in a more sort of granular way?
3: One that we announced recently, and it's that's going through Lloyd's Lab at the moment, is called Anika Biosciences, and they've created technology. I won't get too far in the detail, but essentially, they've created technology to track where food moves in the supply chain, and if and when there's a uh, either contamination or a trigger for a product recall, they can trace back to the origin, how it happened, and where it's from, and the insurance product kicks in as a remediation benefit for everybody in the supply chain. So it's a very unique proposition. It you know it's helping everybody in the ecosystem and it, it also is a vertical expansion type offering. Another one, vertical insure, is one that we invested in early this year. And they're they're in the embedded space, going back to what I said before about you know, unique products in new areas. Their first product was insurance on trading cards, baseball cards, football cards, things like that. There's an entire secondary marketplace that buys and sells these products. And when you're shipping a high-value kind of collectible, having insurance on it is is very important. That's not all they're focusing on, but those types of offerings are part of their wheelhouse and what they're looking to develop.
1: I must go and dig out my children's Pokemon cards and see whether or not they should be insured. Nicole, Ron mentioned a lab. I know you personally are very active with the lab now that you're here in London. Is it a sort of hunting ground for you? You work closely with the lab. Do you check what comes through and see what Greenlight we can offer them?
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely, we try to stay very close to the lab. We've made investments in companies that have come through the lab. We've also provided capacity to those companies. And also from our perspective, When we're working with companies and we think they could be a good fit for the lab, we want to encourage them to at least apply, right? So we think that the lab is a really great resource, and not only for the startups, but the broader InsurTech ecosystem. And so we really try to support Rosie, Arena, the rest of the lab team, really, you know, however we can.
1: Staying on the Lloyd's theme, Brian, I mean, I know you're a great supporter of the lab, but then you've got a syndicate or a syndicate in a box Tell us about the, the how you've put all these things together. And I think you've got some other aspects in which you support the Lloyds community too.
3: Yeah, so, so we set up Syndicate 3456 at Lloyds in April of 2022. And it is an innovation syndicate. So it's focused on all the work that Nicole, myself, and the rest of the team have been working on. And it was attractive to us because we have been involved in Lloyds on the capacity side for many years, leveraging our early success and starting at Lloyds was a, a natural next step. Lloyd's is also a great testing ground for new products and also getting market feedback. What we found very helpful already is that, you know, we can engage with the expertise of various syndicates that we don't necessarily have, but we've got a knowledge and expertise in getting companies off the ground and we can benefit from other syndicates' experience and the specific products that we're supporting. So that's been significantly helpful for ourselves and also for our value prop to the market too. Typically, we've just been a reinsurer, and so we've always had to have multiple parties in the value chain and being able to be even more of a one-stop shop, not necessarily the one-stop shop, but more of a one-stop shop is very helpful for us when we're engaging with prospective partners and existing partners as well, giving them another option by providing the Lloyds platform. It's been very interesting today. We've learned a lot about how to engage within the Lloyds community, but overall it's been very positive. In the end, what we're trying to do with our unit is is support good underwriting businesses. And if we can support good underwriting businesses, we think those will be good investment opportunities.
1: So, Nicole, I think we all aspire to be a a one-stop shop, but you can't necessarily be all things to all people. Do you work with other venture investors other lloyd syndicates how does the kind of partnership bit work i can imagine that you might see something you like and want to part invest have you got a group of people you talk to along those lines
2: yeah definitely i mean i think we consider ourselves to be very collaborative in the markets we operate so whether that's you're thinking about lloyds the broader insurance industry or you're thinking about vc and and other investors so whether we're looking at it from the underrating or the investment angle, it, it's definitely important that we have peers and investors and insurers that are bringing also something to the table, different expertise, just adding value to the, the companies that we want to partner with. And it's also really important for us to work with others in our, our market to, to get feedback on the company or the opportunity that could come in the form of product expertise from another syndicate or another insurer or generalist VC expertise from other VCs. So, yes, we definitely look to collaborate and share both as co-investors and as capacity providers.
1: Brian, back to you. I can't get you on as an investor and not talk about the kind of perception of the insure tech investment scene and this sort of endless doom and gloom that I'm forced to read and valuations falling off a cliff and new source of investment drying up. To what extent do you buy into that? And has it changed your, your original strategy and investment thesis in any way?
3: We've definitely reacted to it. But I guess at a high level, I'm encouraged by Interestingly, how far behind the insurance industry still is in technology adoption and automation. You know, if I look at you know last few years, you know, there has been improvements, but there's still a long way to go in improving the overall insurance value chain. So as far as the evaluation changes that have happened recently, it's it's a challenge and an opportunity. And I think there's some corrections for good reasons. The benefits that I see, especially for Greenlight and why you know we are still confident in our strategy and in our investment thesis, is that there's a much larger focus on underwriting profitability and expense management. And long term, these companies have to be sustainable and durable. And having this hygiene brought to the front early on in these companies' life cycle and, and being more, more focused on it from day one. I think that's actually beneficial for us because we want to make sure that companies are focused on the proper unit economics. So looking at classes and vintages, there's there's a view that 2023 you know, could be a very good year as valuations are more favorable to investors, but there's more discipline on the founder and startup side. The fact that there's still so much room to go and so much innovation that can happen
1: does give room for optimism. That's the language I speak, vintages. Uh, The other thing, you're uniquely equipped to answer this question, I think. Do you see any kind of profound differences between the US investment scene and the UK investment scene? That could be, you know, in terms of valuations and, and culture and approach. Any thoughts?
3: So at the highest level, without doing any disservice to either party or giving favor to one, I kind of see that the UK, Europe side is much more insurance literate, if you will. They understand insurance just even at the consumer level. And also, given that the Lloyd's market is quite dense and a lot of the activity is focused in London, there's a significant advantage there where everything happens in one place, whereas in the U.S., everything is much more fragmented. There's large companies that are spread out all over the country. There are some pockets where there is some density of, of talent and knowledge, but that does make it difficult to have more collaboration and sharing of intelligence. Now, on the flip side, on the investor side, the investors I see in the UK are, are much more knowledgeable about insurance, but the capital base is not nearly as large as the US. So going back and forth between the two, there's, there are differences and they are very complementary in many ways. But that's, that's just a high level view that I've seen in just the few years that I've been operating in this space.
1: Nicole, I'm going to give you, now that we're near the end of the podcast, an opportunity to shamelessly plug Greenlight. Ree, you have to go out and and find the, the vintage of 2023. What would you say? Why would they come to Greenlight, Re?
2: Yeah, we like to say that we differentiate because we can help early-stage MG and SureTech solve for really two problems at once. So that's solving for the capacity and solving for the investment. And that is definitely true and definitely a... A value proposition that we live by. But ultimately, I think it's our team that is attractive to founders. So our helpfulness, our expertise, our ability to move fast and make decisions and make things happen. I think the team over the last five years has accumulated a wealth of, of experience and lessons that they've learned from. And I can see just over the last nine months that We do have this culture of growing and always trying to do what we do better. And I think what we're ultimately striving for is to be that ideal partner to the startups and also the broader ecosystem that that we work in. Hopefully, that is compelling.
1: Well, I can give some endorsement to that because investments that you have made sit on your website and they are, on the whole, a very impressive bunch of investments. And those who work with you that we know speak very highly of Greenlight. Brian, I can't leave because when you were last in London, you told me something which I desperately want to share with everybody. You haven't quite abandoned your Irish heritage, have you? And at the weekends, the relatively small island of Cayman has its own Gaelic football team. Come on, tell us about that.
3: So before moving to Cayman, I was playing Australian football in San Diego. So I started playing one of these alternative football games. And then, um, when I moved to Cayman, I learned about the Gaelic Football Club and got involved kind of day one, and it's been fantastic because there's, it's a social club in Grand Cayman with over 800 members on an island of about 70,000 people. So just 1% of the island is a member of this the Gaelic Football Club in Cayman. I was actually fortunate enough to represent the Cayman Islands national team at the U.S. Gaelic Football Championships a long time ago. I still play, but I'm not, I'm not national team caliber anymore, I guess. So it's a very fun thing to do on the weekends. And uh, from January to June, I'm often out there on the
1: weekend. I will had to check through our records, but I think that's the first time we've ever had an international sports person on our podcast.
2: <laughs> this is news to me. I didn't even know about it.
1: <laughs> uh, look, it's been a great pleasure to have you. I, you know, it's a cheap shot. But considering you're you're really very good fun, you two. And I've, it's been a great pleasure to have you on the show. And thank you to Greenlight for all the support you give us. You're a genuine pleasure to work with. So thank you both.
2: Thank you. Thanks.
0: Well, if you enjoyed that, you can find out more about what we're doing at Instec on the website, www.instec.co. And if you're interested in becoming a member, please do contact Robin or I or any of us, hello, at instec.co. And don't forget, if you're in London, look out for our evening events coming once a month, all the information on the website as well. Okay, that's it. We're done.